We're going to be in the book of John, chapter 7. If you're new here, welcome and um, thankful to have you here. We are studying in the Gospel of John. If you didn't bring a Bible, there's Bibles that are under your pews, and uh, you can grab those. Let's come before the Lord in prayer. Lord Jesus, we just thank you so much, Lord, for a beautiful day to, to come together as your people, um, to learn from your word, to, to find ourselves just praising you and worshiping you and exalting you with all that is within us. We thank you, Lord, for each and every person that you've brought to Reverence Bible Church, the way that you've gifted them the way that um, you use them for the ministry of all of the rest of the saints here. I pray, Lord, that um, your Holy Spirit would just meet us here this morning and teach us and encourage us and exhort us that we might be more and more conformed into your image. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This week, I'd like to spend a little bit more time on a couple verses that we went over quickly last Sunday, but John chapter 7, beginning in verse 37. On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, if anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Charles Spurgeon wrote um, the beginning of his sermon on this particular text. Beloved brethren, notwithstanding all that the Spirit of God has already done in us, It's very possible that we have missed a large part of the blessing which he is willing to give. For he is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. We've already come to Jesus. We've we've drunk of the life-giving stream. Our thirst is quenched. We're made to live in him. And then he asks the question, is this... Is this all? Now that we're living in him and rejoicing to do so, have we come to the end of the matter? His response is assuredly not. We have reached as far as that first exhortation of the master. If any man thirsts, let him come unto me and drink. And so if you're a believer here this morning, you have responded to if anyone is thirsty, let him come unto, him, unto me and drink. But do you think that the generality of the church of God has have ever advanced to the next? He that believeth, quote, he that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. I think I'm not going beyond the grievous truth if I say that only here and there you'll find men and women who have believed up to that point. Their thirst is quenched, as I've said, and they live. 
Because Jesus lives, they, also, they shall live also. But health and vigor, they have not. They have life, but they have not life more abundantly. They have little life with which to act upon others. They have no energy welling up from welling up and overflowing to streaming out of them like rivers. They've thought it possible, perhaps, or are thinking it possible that they have not imagined it possible to themselves or believing it possible to themselves that they have not aspired to it, but they've stopped short of the fullest blessing. Their wading into the sacred river has contented them, and they know nothing of the waters to swim in. Like the Israelites of old, they're slow to possess all the land of promise, but sit down when the war has hardly begun. Then he closes with this. Brothers, let us go in and get of God all that God will give us. Let us set our heart upon this, that we mean to have, by God's help, all that the infinite goodness of God is ready to bestow. Let us not be satisfied with a sip that saves, but let us go on to the baptism which buries the flesh and raises us in the likeness of the risen Lord. Even that baptism into the Holy Ghost and into fire, which makes us, spiritual, makes us spiritually and sets us all on flame with zeal for the glory of God and the eagerness for usefulness by which that glory may be increased among the sons of men. That was over 100 years ago that he wrote that just to start out. But thinking about our congregation here this morning, looking at us and saying, okay, is it possible that we as Reverence Bible Church, we that come week after week to church, we've tasted of the living water that has come from Christ. We thirst and we came to him and we believed in him and we hoped in him and we've Look to him alone for our salvation. But we stop there. We, we fail to, to go on to have coming out of our hearts um, rivers of living water flowing forth from us. And that's his exhortation to his congregation there in England over 100 years ago. He's saying, you believe, but I think there's quite a few people who believe and yet, the way that they live on a daily basis does not look like rivers of living water flowing out of your lives, flowing out of your hearts. We look at our text here this morning. And there's the Lord speaking to this group of people. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Saying to this whole group of people, if anybody here is thirsting, come to me and drink. We looked last week at that, that there's this picture there of the rock that was struck and, and all of, of, of God's people going and, and, and drinking from that water, but seeing that that rock was, in fact, Christ. And here he's there with these people as they're celebrating that particular event at this particular feast, and he's saying to them, come to me. If you thirst, come to me and drink. But then from there, he who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And we look at that and I read that and think, okay, that's what we want, right? 
I mean, he's, he's presenting these people here with just the most incredible offer. If you're thirsty, come to me and drink. And if you believe in me, out of your heart is just going to flow rivers. Rivers will flow out of your heart. Not just little streams here and there or every once in a while this might happen. He's saying, no, come to me. and You believe in me and out of your heart is just going to flow rivers of living water. Rivers of living water that are going to be just an incredible blessing to everybody that is around. It's not from us as far as we are not the source of the river, but it is from him, from the Holy Spirit. He said, he spoke this concerning the Spirit whom those believing in him would receive. And out from our hearts, out from our lives, would flow rivers of living waters to others. The Holy Spirit is has been given to us to be just an incredible blessing to us. Our comforter, our helper. You, you think of the time when, when Jesus is there with his disciples and he says to them, nevertheless, I, I tell you a, the, the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away. If I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I'll send him to you. It's to your advantage that I go away. I mean, picture that. I mean, we, we look and we think of the disciples and we think of them walking with Jesus, being with Jesus, spending every moment with Jesus. And they're there and they're seeing him at the transfiguration or they're hearing his teaching or they're seeing the miracles and their faith is just growing and growing as they see him walk on water or make blind people able to see or make lame people able to walk. And, and, and yet he says to them, I'm telling you the truth about this. You, you could be absolutely sure of this. I'm telling you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away. It's better for you. I mean, we, we sometimes look and think like, oh, if I could only live in the days of Jesus. I mean, if I only could have just seen everything. I mean, my faith would be so much bigger. Now I, I have to live by faith now and not by sight. And if I could just have been one of the disciples, it would have been so much different. And, and Jesus is saying to them, no, I'm telling you guys the truth. It's to your advantage that I go. It's to your advantage that I ascend into heaven. Because if I don't go away, the helper will not come to you. If I don't go away, the Holy Spirit will not come to you. So Jesus is saying, I'm, I'm telling you the truth, that it is just an incredible blessing to you that I go and I give you the gift of my Holy Spirit to live in you. It's to your advantage that this happens. What might that look like as far as having the Holy Spirit living within us? Not only that, but having our hearts be such that rivers of living water are flowing from us. Let's turn to Acts chapter 2 for a moment. To verse 36. In Acts chapter 2, in verse 36, we see that Holy Spirit has been given. And it says here, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know as surely that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Um, this message has been preached. So when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? So we see the Holy Spirit working in the hearts of the people. A message goes forth and they're cut to the heart. 
The Holy Spirit convicts them of their sin. Their response is, what do we do? And Peter says to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. <laughs> and then we just look at that. I, when I read that, I, I think of us. Here's a promise that's given. It's given to you and to your children and to all who are afar off. California. As many as the Lord our God will call. Us. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. And then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 souls were added to them. So here's these people, unbelievers. They hear the gospel go forward. They're cut to the heart. They're radically changed. They believe in Christ. What do we do? Repent. Be baptized. Okay, we'll repent. We'll be baptized. We believe in him. 3,000 people are saved. So how do they respond? They continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common. They sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. I, I read this and I just think, radical what's taking place here. Here's these people, they went from being unbelievers. And, and God tells us about unbelievers. The inclination of their heart is only evil continually. They, they don't know him. They don't desire to please him. There's a difference. They do things according to the law, but not according to the work that, that Christ has done in us to change us and cause fruit to come forth out of our lives. And so they're there, and these people who may have been the same ones that were yelling, crucify him, are now all together. And they just are there continuing steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Just teach us God's word. Teach us. We just want to learn. We want to be fed. We're excited about learning God's word. Doctrine, fellowship, they're breaking bread together. They're praying together. There's signs, there's wonders that are taking place. They looked and said, we have everything in common now. We have everything in common. I mean, we once were strangers, but now we've been brought near. We once would have looked and said, well, these people are wealthy and these people aren't. These people look like this and we look different. These people are from this town and we're from a different area. And here's 3,000 and they said, we got, we got everything in common now. We're the same. It doesn't matter what the background was of any one of those people. It doesn't matter what kind of life they left behind. They're saying, we had everything in common. They sold their possessions and goods. They divided them among all. Who has need? Is there anybody here that has need? And then they just said, like, let's give to them. Let's bless them. 
We see that taking place at our church sometimes where someone will say, hey, I'd like to bless a family. Can I just write a check and I'll give it? And can you guys just give it to them and don't let them know where it came from? Or we know that there's needs at the church and we don't know what the needs are exactly, but here's some money and just can you just tag it towards benevolence and use it for people that have need? We just want, we want to help people that have need. That's what's taking place here in Acts chapter 2. So they were together in one accord, breaking bread from house to house. They ate their food with gladness and with simplicity of heart, and they were praising God. And the Lord just added to the church daily those who were being saved. People were getting saved. I read this, and I just think rivers of living water pouring forth out of these people's lives. They looked, and there wasn't the pride of look at what I've accomplished or there wasn't the pity of look how pitiful my situation is and feeling bad for themselves. They just looked. There was just simplicity of heart and they just looked and said, we got, we got everything in common. We have everything in common. And they just ministered at favor with the people that were around and God added to the church daily. We look and we see that the Holy Spirit empowers in such a way that is such that it's radical. It, it does not come from us. When you think of, of, in the Old Testament, Samson. He's there and it tells us in, in Judges 14 that the Spirit of God came mightily upon him. The Spirit of God came mightily upon him and he tore apart a lion as one would tear apart a young goat. I, I haven't tried to tear apart a young goat, but... I have seen a young goat, and I have seen a lion. And Samson's there, and just with his hands, tearing apart a lion. Why? I mean, for those of you guys that are like, oh, the lion. <laughs> um, I know you're the same people when you watched a cowboy and Indian movie, and the horse fell when the guy got shot. You thought, oh, the horse. Um, <laughs> But here in this, in this, and I'm not saying that's bad. It's a wonderful heart. I love horses. Um, I had a horse growing up and rode for years and years, almost every day. Um, I didn't wear cowboy boots because it's weird when a Japanese guy would wear cowboy boots and a cowboy hat. <laughs> but I rode every day. But you look here and here's this lion and it's just being torn, torn apart. Because the Spirit of the Lord had come upon him. We see him in, in Judges 15 where he's bound with these new ropes. And it says the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon Samson. And the ropes that were on his arms became like flax that's burned with fire. And his bonds broke loose with his hands. He found a fresh jawbone of a donkey. And reached out his hand and took it. And he killed a thousand men with it. Like radical. You don't, I don't care how big you are. I, I look at this and I, I think of Samson and I think he probably wasn't that big. I mean, if he was that big, people would be like, well, the guy, he killed a thousand people with a jawbone because look how, I mean, look how ripped the guy is. I mean, of course, he's like an incredible warrior. No, it was the Lord that came mightily upon him, enabling him to accomplish things that nobody else could ever accomplish. 
But the Lord does that for us. We look at our lives and we may look and say, well, I want, that. I want, I want rivers of living water flowing from my heart. I, I want to be there and, and, and be pouring myself and, and, and being a blessing to those that are around. You see, in 1 Corinthians 12, 7, but the man, manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. The Holy Spirit's been given to every one of us for the profit of everybody. Um, I think that should create incredible unity for us as a church. Because every one of us is different. We all have different gifts. And we rely upon one another. Look, and you think of the Holy Spirit looking at our church and knowing who he's going to bring to our church and saying, I'm going to gift this person in this way. I'm going to gift that person in that way. And this one is going to have this gift. And this other person is going to have that gift. And you look, and, and he gifts people in all different kinds of ways. Why? So that we can depend on one another, be built up by one another, be encouraged by one another. The local church is something that is just an incredible organism that God blesses us with. I think there's a different way of thinking about the local church nowadays where um, people have a mindset of, well, I could go to one church one day, another church another week, another one another week, and you're all over the place by whatever the latest, coolest, whatever band, whoever's there. Um, and I think there's something wonderful about the unity of the entire church as a whole, uh, universal church. It's wonderful to look and see Christians all over the place, but there's something entirely special about the local church. To be able to look and say the Holy Spirit's gifted people, and, and, and then he goes on to tell us um, God set the members, each one of them, in the body, just as he pleased. Think about that. He's put every person in here, everybody that's a part of our church, he did it sovereignly just as he pleased. Just in the way that would please him the most. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? If we were all the same, where would the body be? But now indeed there are many members yet one body. So the eye can't say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather, those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. None of us can say, I don't need you. We're a body. We work as a body. We function as a body. But the Holy Spirit equips us for the ministry that he calls us to. He gives us gifts. He doesn't say, go do it on your own. Go be a Christian on your own. Go, go make it so that there's all kinds of, of rivers flowing out of your heart, and it's up to you to figure out a way to get the rivers to flow out of your heart. He says, no, I'll gift you. I'll gift you in a specific way. I'll work in you in a specific way. I'll work so that my Holy Spirit is such that out of you will flow rivers of living water. We see the Holy Spirit working in people's lives in just incredible way throughout the New Testament and the Old Testament. But in the New Testament, in Acts chapter 4, we're told that Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. And then he began to speak to the people who were there. Just incredible boldness in the message in which he proclaimed. 
There is salvation, nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled. He worked in them. He did this mighty work. They're there, and they begin to speak with boldness. The Holy Spirit has come upon them, and they speak with boldness. And the people are going, you're not trained, though. You never went to our schools. You never did all the things that you were supposed to do. You're not a part of the intellectual elite. Why would we ever listen to you? But there was this boldness that they had as they spoke. And the people marveled at it. I mean, you, you think of the group that the Lord chose to go and to be his disciples and to cover all of the land. And you look and you're talking about fishermen and tax collectors. People that, that weren't those that were the mightiest or the smartest or the most revered. Not at all. He just goes, I'll, I'll take fishermen. Leave your boats there. I'll, I'll make you fishers of men. And he does that, doesn't he? In Acts 4.31, it says, When they prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness, just incredible boldness as they spoke God's word. We may look at our lives and look and say, I don't, I don't know how to have rivers of living water pour forth from my heart. I, I, I get so nervous just to witness to anybody, even a friend or a family member. I don't want to offend them or anything else. And, and God just says, pray. Pray for that kind of boldness. Pray for the Holy Spirit to come into your lives in such a way that just rivers are flowing out of you. Every one of us will witness in a different way. For some of us, there may be incredible boldness that just goes out and just starts proclaiming. And for others, it may be a quiet boldness that goes out of your comfort zone and goes and specifically just ministers to a friend, to a neighbor, to somebody. We see the Lord work in many, many different situations in Scripture to where what's being repeated over and over again is that there was boldness. They were filled with the Spirit. Um, in Acts 13, there's Saul that's there, there before governor, and he's filled with the, the Spirit and looked intently at him and said, O oh, full of deceit and fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all, righteous, of all righteousness, will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? And now indeed the hand of the Lord is upon you and you shall be blind, not seeing the sun for a time. And immediately a dark mist fell on him and he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Then the, the proconsul believed, the governor believed when he saw what had been done, being astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Here's Paul. Boldness. God makes him go, the guy go blind and makes it so that he has to be led by the hand and it's that that saves him. You look and you think of how it is that you've been saved and what it was that God did in your life. And you know how the Holy Spirit works, don't you? 
mean, you think of how far you were from him, what you were doing, the way that you thought, and then you look and you see the kindness of God, whether it be someone speaking a bold message to you or whether it be somebody speaking quietly to you or you being there just reading from God's word or some circumstance in your life that just wrecked you and brought you to the place where you fell to your knees. But the Holy Spirit does that, doesn't he? Kindness of the Holy Spirit working in our lives. Paul says in Romans 15, I will, for I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me in word and deed to make the Gentiles obedient in mighty signs and wonders by this power of the Spirit of God so that from Jerusalem round about to Illyricum I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. And, I've, and so I've made it my aim to preach the gospel not where Christ was named lest I should build on another man's foundation. You look at him and he just says, I'm going. The Holy Spirit enabled me. I'm going. And he just starts there in Jerusalem. And we see these missionary journeys of Paul where he's going from, from there to, all the way to to Croatia and Albania, and what would be modern-day Illyricum. These missionary journeys where I, I looked it up and saw that, that it was well over 10,000 miles just in his missionary journeys. If you just look at the cities in which he went to over the period of his life in which he was saved, traveling over 10,000 miles just to get from one city to the other city to the other city and doing his missionary journeys, going to proclaim the gospel. And here in our text, he says that, or in, in Romans 15, I'm not, I don't even want to talk about anything that Christ didn't accomplish through me. It's by the power of the Spirit of God that I went to Jerusalem and up to Albania or to Croatia so that Christ would be fully preached. It doesn't count the times where he's in that particular city, walking from place to place or walking in the surrounding areas. Just to what we look at over 10,000 miles, and he just says, it was the power of the Spirit of God that made me do that. It was God that did that. You hear Paul say in 1 Corinthians 2, 1, And I, brethren, when I came to you, I didn't come with excellence of speech or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with pervasive words or persuasive words or of human wisdom, but in the demonstration of the spirit and of power that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Radical. I mean, like, think of us here at our church. I didn't come with excellence of speech or wisdom. I, it wasn't, you could look and say, I, I'm, I don't have that. I don't have that. I don't, I don't have all of the, the intellectual abilities or the ability to like just move masses of people. I, it's just, I didn't want to declare anything except for Christ and him crucified. I, I was with you in weakness and in just much trembling. I just... I trembled when I shared. It wasn't persuasive words of human wisdom. But it was the spirit and his power that spoke. To me, that's incredibly comforting. I mean, to, to have to come and be here and to speak to you. 
I, I thank God I don't have to come up with a new gospel or a new way to present the gospel. I don't have to try to figure out a way of like, okay, well, how do I reach these people? What do I do? What clever way? What can we do? What can we put up there or do here or come speak? Or what do we, what do, we do? No, we just go through and say, look, this is what God says. You're a sinner and you need to repent. And Christ died on the cross for your sins and whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. That is the gospel message. And it doesn't have to be with eloquence of speech. It could just come with trembling. It could come with, with being in, in, in a place of, of weakness or fear. But it is the Holy Spirit that causes people to have their eyes be open to hear, I am a sinner in desperate, desperate need of a Savior. There's no amount of convincing no amount of eloquence of speech that can make you ever think that way. It's the Holy Spirit that must do that work in our hearts. And so the Holy Spirit works, causing rivers to flow from us, and it doesn't have to be where it's polished. It's just us speaking the Word of God, loving people. The fruit of the Holy Spirit that flows forth from our lives, it's listed in Scripture. Paul says in Galatians 5.16, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. In verse 22, he goes on to say, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there's no law. What comes out of your life? What, What is it that pours forth from your life? The fruit of the Spirit, the result of the Holy Spirit in you is love for people. Love that comes out of your lives. You look, and, and, and that should be our prayer. God, help love to come out of my life. Help me to see this person that is not lovely, that is not kind, and just love them. I, I pray that there would be just joy that comes out of my life. That people will look and say, you should not be joyful because of your current circumstances, and yet you're still joyful. And God just says, it's just, there's rivers flowing out of your life. The joy that's there is just rivers that are flowing out of your heart into this world, and people are seeing it. Rivers coming out of you. Peace. Peace that's there when there's chaos that's all around, there's peace. Long-suffering, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. I think of our times in South Sudan where we brought food in, and... You have groups that brought in just these huge planes, C-130s, that would come up and they would open up the back of the C-130 and drop off pallets of food and they'd come down and crash and hit and the people would come in out and take the food and distribute it. We, we couldn't afford the C-130. So we got the DC-3 or the, whatever plane that we could afford to bring just a few metric tons in. We came down on the ground and sat the people down and took the bags and opened them and prayed with them and shared the gospel with them and brought doctors with us to help them. And we're going into a war zone that we're not allowed to go into. And we're there and we're just loving on the people and ministering to them and playing with their kids and smiling. And, you know, it, it, the people came and said, like, there's other people that come. That, the, the UN will come sometimes and just drop off huge things, but we never get to meet them. 
the way that the ministry took place with us just being on the ground and playing soccer with them or whatever it is that we could do to share the love of Christ, showing the Jesus film, proclaiming the gospel. And there's rivers of kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control coming out of our lives because this is the Holy Spirit in us working through us. We're being changed by the Spirit into the image of Christ. He's changing us. In 2 Corinthians 3.18, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in the mirror, the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. He's changing us. He's transforming us. The Holy Spirit lives within us, and there's this work that's taking place where he's conforming us more and more into his image. And I pray that we would be a people that say, God, I just want to feast on your word. I want to spend time with you. I want to be in fellowship with you. I want to walk in your spirit. I want to call upon you in prayer, asking for you to get the sin out of my life and causing fruit to come forward out of my life and being in such a place where I'm in the fellowship of the saints and they're using their gifts to minister to me and I'm using my gifts to minister to them because I want as much fruit coming out of my life as possible. I want as many rivers flowing out of me as possible. And you tell me to do that by by calling upon you in prayer and spending time in your word and spending time with the saints and fasting and, and, and worshiping him and delighting ourselves in him and watching the rivers just pour out of us. The Holy Spirit comforts us, causes righteousness to come forth from our lives, peace, joy. He gives us hope. Romans fifteen thirteen. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, and that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. You might just abound with hope. We live in a day in which our hopes are, can be so easily just, just squashed by the things that are out there in the world. I read... In USA Today, a study that Chapman University actually did this last year, saying, what do do Americans fear the most? What is it that Americans are most afraid of? So they did a survey of 1,500 people, all different types of people across our nation. What do people fear the most? This is the top five. Walking alone at night. I'm never afraid to walk alone at night. Not everybody's as tough as I am, but I, I'm just not, I'm not. I mean, I've, I read that thing, well, that's not me. I also don't live in a place where I might be more afraid to walk around at night. Becoming a victim of identity theft, that's number two. That's what they're most afraid of. What if someone steals my identity? Safety on the internet, that's number three. Being a victim of a mass random shooting, Number four. And public speaking, number five. (laughs) That was the top five. Looking around our nation, Americans, what are you most afraid of? I I would like to think that someone said, like, I fear dying or I fear meeting God and not being right with him. Well, you, you don't even have on there fear of losing a loved one. It's just walking by yourself at night. Someone's stealing your identity, safety on the internet, 
someone coming in and shooting or God help me never to have to talk in front of other people. Public speaking. Not so with the Christian. We look and he gives us a hope. He makes it so that if they steal our identity or if they steal our stuff or they do all kinds of things against us, our hope is not in our circumstances here in this world, are they? I think of Stephen, where he's the first martyr there in Acts chapter 7. He's preaching the gospel to these people, and we're told that these people were cut to the heart, and they gnashed at him with their teeth. So they start gnashing at him with their teeth. And then it says, but he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus standing at the right hand of God. How awesome is that? He's preaching the gospel to his people and they're so mad that they're gnashing their teeth at him. And and then it says, but Stephen, he was full of the Holy Spirit. God was just working in him in an incredible way. And so he just looks up into heaven And he sees the glory of God in Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Radical. When you think of just like the kindness of God to be able to say like, okay, Stephen, just so you know, this is going to hurt real bad about what's going to happen to you, but this is what's in store for you. And he says, look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears. They just shut their ears and they ran at him with one accord. And they cast him out of the city and they stoned him. And the witness laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And then he and when he had said this, he fell asleep. Many of you may be as disturbed as I am this morning after seeing that video that took place in Jordan this last week of them killing that, that pilot in Jordan, burning him alive. I, I don't know. I wish I didn't watch it. I did. I watched it. I wish I didn't. There's incredible wickedness. I mean, you, you see this man and you just look and, and you, you see... You see just the, the, the sin of taking this man and burning him alive. And as horrific as that would be to be in that man's shoes, to be a believer and to look and to see this, right before Stephen's put to death, God just says, I'm, I'm going to open up heaven for you so you can see it. The Holy Spirit's going to fill you so much that you're able to, to say things like, Lord Jesus, just receive my spirit. Rocks are being thrown. Lord, don't charge them with this sin. This is what's being spoken. Lord, don't, don't charge them with this sin. It's only God that can do that. It's the Holy Spirit that causes this living water to pour out of our lives. 
But he's called us, like in 2 Timothy 1.6, stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Stir up the gift of God that's in you. Stir it up. If you've been in such a place of lukewarmness or or being in such a place of having lost your first love, or being in such a place where you're, you're on both sides of the fence. You just are, you're so filled with the stuff of the world that you have very little appetite for the things of God. Or your mind is in such a place where you're just so infatuated with the things of this world that you're, you're, you're failing miserably to treasure Christ above all else. I encourage you, stir up the gift that's within you. In Romans 12, 6, having then gifts differing according to the grace that was given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use them in ministering. Or he who teaches in teaching. Or he who exhorts in exhortation. He who gives with liberality. He who leads with diligence. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Just stir up these gifts. Use them. Use whatever God's given you. Whatever it is. If it's teaching, then use it. If it's giving, then give joyfully. Just give joyfully. Take the gifts that God's given you. If it's showing mercy, do it with cheerfulness. Don't be in a place of, well, they're not saying thank you enough, or, or I don't get the recognition that I want, or I'm just tired, or I don't want to do this anymore. Be in a place of just stir up the gift and do it with cheerfulness. Pray that God would do that in your life. As each one, First Peter, has received a gift, chapter 4, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forevermore. First Thessalonians says, don't quench the spirit. Rather, we're told, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Ephesians 4.3, be eager to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Ask us, pray. We are dependent upon God to have these rivers flow out of us. Pray. In Luke chapter 11, verse 9, it says, So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Jesus said, seek, and you'll find. Knock, and it'll be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. And if a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, ask much more that your heavenly Father will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. Just ask. I look at our church and I just think there is a chance that people are here and they believe in Christ. But if you look at your life in a practical sense, there's very little as far as flowing out of your heart towards one another and in this world. Ask that God would change that. Ask that the Holy Spirit would so fill you that you would just joyfully, joyfully pour yourself into other people and Stir up the gift that's inside you to be a blessing to all those that are around. Spurgeon ended his sermon by saying, 
Ask God to make you all that the Spirit of God can make you. Not only a satisfied believer who has drunk for himself, but a useful believer who overflows the neighborhood with blessing. Ask that God would do that. He goes from there to give this illustration of these canals, these rivers that are there in England. And he says that, look at them, and I guess at that particular day, if you were to go out into the river, you'd look and you'd see these, these huge vessels that were stuck in the mud. They're just there, they're stuck. All these, the river was, was, was dry and, and there they are and they're stuck there. They're turned sideways and they're just laying there in the mud. And he says, look at them. What machine, machinery can move them? We have, have we a great engineer among us who would devise a scheme for lifting these vessels and bearing them down to the river's mouth? No, it can't be done. He says, wait till the tide comes in. What a change. Each vessel walks the water like a thing of life. What a difference between the low tide and the high tide. You, can, you cannot stir the boats when the water's gone. But when the tide is full, see how readily they move. A little child can just push them with his hand. Oh, the flood of grace. He says, I know that in this particular dock, several vessels, referring to his church, several vessels are lying that I should like to float, but I cannot stir them. They neither work for God nor come out to the prayer meetings nor give up their substance to spread the gospel. If the flood would come, you would see what they're capable of. They would be active, fervent, generous, abounding in every good work, word and work. So may it be, so may it be. May springs begin to flow in all our church. And may all of you who hear me this day give your share of the streams. Oh, that the Lord may now fill you and send you home bearing a flood of grace with you. It sounds oddly to speak of a man carrying home a flood within him. And yet I hope it will be so. And that out of you shall flow rivers of living water. So may God grant for Jesus' sake. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, that is our prayer for our church here this morning. The people would leave here with just floods coming out of them. Stirring up the gifts that are within them that they might just be a blessing to those here in our church and to those in this community and to the uttermost parts of this land. Enable us to joyfully use the gifts that you've given us. Doing it, Lord, for your glory, for your honor, for the sake of the gospel, that people might come to know you and that we as a church may be healthy and encouraging one another and stirring up one another, that our kids may grow up in Sunday school to just adore you and to love you and to worship you because there's those that have poured their lives into them. May we all use the gifts that you've given us so no one will grow weary or tired, but we'll all lift things together and serve you in such a way that you're exalted. What a passage this morning to think of rivers of living water flowing out of our lives as a result of the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Please, Lord, humbly ask you just to accomplish that here at Reverence Bible Church. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.